you know, but there's there's always growing pains. There's always things that you know you need to to kind of learn rapidly how to do. And you know, when you're the executive of the company, your job is just to to do it. Sometimes you're not going to find somebody. You're not going to be able to delegate. Your job is to do that. But you know, on the days where it can't happen, it can't happen, and you're the one that needs to stand up. So everybody, welcome back to the Clearview Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Brian Reister of Univoice. How are you doing today, Brian? Excellent, excellent. So, Reister, like uh, Easter with an R. Reister, ah, yes. Yeah, and fantastic weekend. I've had an absolute blast. Um, getting a lot done with Univoice. We are expanding our library like a rocket. And yeah, Wonderful. I'd love to tell you about it. Yeah, well, tell me, tell me. Let's start with what Univoice is. What do you guys do? Well, have you ever tried to learn a language? I have. Yeah. Well, okay. Tell me how it went. Like, what language? Well, I started by learning Spanish. I was about nineteen or twenty, and I was about to move to Mexico. Um, I went down there for my brother's wedding in two thousand seven. Two thousand seven, and I was just like, "Whoa, I could work remotely from here, for and like live on the beach instead of in Cleveland, Ohio." So I was like, all right, I'm going to move to Mexico. And then a couple of months before that like date that I had kind of set for myself, I was like, okay, time to start learning Spanish. So I downloaded uh, Rosetta Stone, started doing Rosetta Stone, uh, but I knew that wasn't going to be enough. So I also, I just wanted to immerse myself in it. So I started listening to a lot of Spanish music. Mm-hmm. And so I'd listen to like Mana, Shakira, Juanes, like a bunch of whatever I could find. And then I would look up the lyrics and then basically try to learn all of the lyrics to one song and all of the grammar to one song so that I could hear one song at the speed that they were singing it and understand it fully. Um, Amazing. And then just and kind how, of how did that out. work out? How did it work to use uh, you know, music in your, um, in your, in your learning? Well, I mean, it, it worked really well because it includes everything. It's, 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 uh, it wasn't just learning the vocabulary. It wasn't just learning things that are useful for travelers, but it was also getting some of the soul and essence of the the language um, and at the cadence and rhythm that people might speak it at. Um, Something real, right? Yeah, including some of the idioms and the poetic, uh, like the ways that people speak in another language that don't map directly onto your own. I feel like that's the most critical part of language. I feel like the majority of our communication is unspoken mm-hmm. and it's the interplay between those, those words, the idioms and uh, you know, the turns of phrase is really where we create meaning. Um, so to answer your initial question, Univoice is the company that you could have found back in that day that would just give you a library of music along with its lyrics and its translation so that you can just sing some karaoke while you're learning. Just let us know what language you're learning, what kind of music you like, and rock out. Oh wow! So that's, so that's basically what you guys do. Absolutely, so language we're, learning we're gamifying through song. it. Yeah. Huh. So how, how have you gamified it? So we're in the middle of uh, launching that system right now. So we're we're coding it up, and you know, we're not going to do that without a, a big library to use, right? We initially, when we're uh, just putting in uh, songs, which is pretty difficult because we do need to translate it into all of the languages that uh, we offer because this is an omnidirectional product, um, you know, any language to any other language. 
Um, so, so it does take a lot of legwork up front. While we're doing that, we're perfecting our gamification system in the background. And that is primarily about um, helping people access more content and stay motivated um, over time. And it's about making sure that this is a product that's accessible to the whole world. You know, we don't want to limit ourselves like most people in the industry to only the people who are going to pay ahead of time. You know, we really want to make an impact. So uh, gamification is something you know, that's it's relatively uh, new that is allowing all of these uh, different companies, not just pure game companies, but education companies uh, and, and other people like us to create products that are accessible to uh, a, a, a ramp of uh, unpaid to paid users and uh, it's much more attuned to the modern philosophy where some people can be patrons of the arts and there are are some users who can support us and support that vision in order to serve everybody who needs to be served so so tell me how that ramp works how does how does a user who just wants to start playing with this gamified uh, like musical language learning uh, application. How how do they how do they how does their journey go before they get to the point where they're paying? Well, they can they can pay at any point, or they can never. That's really you know up to the user. If you are going to maximize your experience, you need to do the things that are conducive to actual language learning. So here's what I mean by that, and this is where I think the Univoice as a company is one of the best places that I've ever worked. In the normal industry of just pure gaming. The idea is to hook people and to maximize engagement and pull as much out of their pockets as you can. And we've gotten really good with the psychological sciences at targeting specific levels of motivations and different types of motivations. Well, we can use that to a productive end. It doesn't need to be predatory. So with Univoice, we're really deliberate about creating our gamification systems around what's the optimal amount of time per day that somebody needs to practice in order to learn. You know, at what point are they just absolute overkill. And we don't want anybody to burn out, right? We want them to actually be able to learn the language. Mm -hmm. Uh, At what point are you maintaining your engagement? We can't let somebody be bored any more than we can over-challenge somebody. So maintaining a good ramp inside the flow state of your psychology is a part of the gamification system. Hmm. There is um, a, a difference between mastery and exploration. You do want to maximize for your vocabulary, But at the same time, you want to practice and practice and practice so that you can perfect your pronunciation. And so we are very careful about measuring and defining these paths to maximizing your points means doing the things that optimize your learning. What are some of those things that are unique to Univoice? Um, So so it would be something like um, the amount of time that is spent. Uh, most research is pointing between you know half an hour and 45 minutes is on a daily cadence something that's going to be very very productive in comparison to you know two hours hmm. where you have a, a very rapidly diminishing return on the time spent hmm interesting i'm i'm curious about that uh that diminishment of the like time spent thing because if if you move to a foreign country you are probably going to run into people speaking it much more than 45 minutes a day. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And and we're not really talking about, um, you know, trying to absolutely maximize the speed at which you can learn the language. We're really trying to maximize the chance that you actually will. 
if you uh, understand right. my, my meaning, as yeah. well as retention over time. You, know, you don't want to, to lose the language. Um, so yeah, if, if somebody wants to pick up a language as quickly as they possibly can, then you know, do what you did. Just throw yourself into it. You know, sink or swim. That's always going to be the fastest way to learn something. Uh, but mm. that's not the use case that we necessarily want to focus on. Is that's yeah. probably the fewest number of people that are actually going to get through it. Right, right. But yeah, in the middle of that bell curve, you're going to have people who are who are willing to spend 45 minutes a day, and if they do two hours a day for a week, they're going to burn out. Absolutely, absolutely. But if we can yeah. take somebody who does not have necessarily the the right habits or the right intrinsic motivation to do that half hour a day and we can kind of push them over the edge and just give that carrot on the stick that's what they're signing Mm -hmm. up for that's explicitly what somebody wants out of us so we are proud to provide right okay so so tell me a little bit more about the methodology behind this gamification what are what are the things that you measure um are you measuring users while they're using the app and then like their overall engagement and then kind of like a b testing various uh techniques i guess it comes down to our uh, patented speech engine we are uniquely able to help people understand uh, the efficacy of their pronunciation Um, in context of actual speech different words are are dramatically um, different than one another or they're homonyms and there's some space in between so that sort of phonetic adjacency is what lets uh, the native speakers understand somebody who has you know, a deep drawl or a trill or you know, some accent uh, that would otherwise make them very difficult to understand. So if I'm talking to you about footwear, then that context is going to tell you that when I say boat, you know, I probably mean boot. I'm probably not talking about a sailing ship. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and, and so that, that phonetic adjacency um, is something that computers usually have a great deal of difficulty with. Mm-hmm. And the Univoice speech engine does not. Hmm. Uh, what do you what do you account to that? Uh, well, I can't talk uh, you know, too deeply into the the technicals because uh, I'm not you know the primary engineer. But mostly, it is about context awareness and uh, training the um, AI to understand that you know, the overall topic that is being discussed, as well as what it's expecting. Right. Yeah, I was just kind of discussing this recently on another episode with with an AI company. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. So, so tell me a little bit more about what got you into this. What what made you want to build this? Well, I was. It was years and years and years ago um, that I created the the seed of the speech engine, and um, Univoice is not my idea. Uh, my partner Sammy, he's the best language teacher in the world. There's a reason for it because he has a very specific technique of using music in his lessons. And as a tutor, he's just so madly effective that he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to turn this into an app. I'm going to make this thing. And you know, here we had Univoice. Hmm. So when he met me and I've uh, already have you know, the technical background, um, the entrepreneurship, et cetera, et cetera. This is what I do as a career is create um, software businesses like this. I was so excited because Years and years and years and years ago, I was so dead sick of my phone's autocorrect ducking all my shift every time I tried to use a word that it didn't have in its dictionary. I just needed to go make my own. So I made a keyboard that would be more context aware 
and you have a lesser propensity to uh, bring things out of context and censor people. Uh, it turned out to be so effective that I would have to uh, correct my autocorrect maybe once every three to six months, you know, wow. as opposed to like four or five times per sentence. Hmm. Uh, so we were just natural partners, and uh, it could not have been a more smooth first year. Yeah, so tell me more about that first year. How did How did that go from like the idea to the seed stage to, to growth? Well, that is thankfully where, uh, my partner and I have been absolutely, um, like complimentary. So, uh, people come to me when they have a business that they know that they can scale. And my job is to take whatever arbitrary business that is and turn it into something that can be a national or a global institution. So my expertise is in software, it's in business, it's in economics, and it's in game theory. Sammy is hands down the best CEO that I have ever met. He has been able to you know, raise every bit of money that we've needed, make all of the relationships that we've needed, bring the contracts for the content that is going to make this app an absolute global just powerhouse. And I've just been free to run operations. It's been a dream. Wonderful. So Brian mentioned that you have social built into your app. Uh, how, tell me a little bit about how that works. There are two aspects of social motivation that are diametrically opposed. We are very competitive and we love to have partners. So we try to address both of these things. Our first system is challenge a friend. Um, you know, it's pretty elemental and this is totally asynchronous. So that makes it very easy for us on the programming side. And that's just a matter of you've done a song and you send it over to me cause I'm your friend and I do the same song and we can compare our scores. Hmm. So we can address the, um, competitive aspect here as well as the cooperative aspects here by letting it be an iterated game. And so what we're putting together here is a, uh, like an ongoing uh, language learning buddy relationship. Mm. Every day you can challenge me. We're going to get a little bonus for that challenge, but only the winner is going to get the lion's share of that bonus. So if we are participating in the system, we're both better off, but one of us is going to be more better off. And that, that lets us kind of find that saddle point between uh, us being language learning buddies and we're going to do this every day because we're both incentivized and gives us you know an extra little competitive kick. For fun. Huh. So then, okay. So I'm starting to get a better picture of this. You're, um, you're using Univoice and it is teaching you language through singing. And so you're actually singing and it's recording you. And then there's some kind of scoring based on a, uh, like an analysis of your, of your singing. And then you can upload that socially and share it with friends and then you get scored against them. And then you guys get to kind of compete. And then the winner takes, Everybody wins for participating, but also you win more if you kind of win the match. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I, we should back up a little bit because uh, you know the challenge of friend is not necessarily a uh, you know thing that everybody needs to participate in. It's just a little extra feature that okay, we throw yeah. on. The core of Univoice is just sing along. We'll let you know how you're doing. Okay. And we're going to find as many ways as we can do that to make it compelling as we can. But that's the core of the technology because. When it comes down to it, there's two major things that you need to do to learn a language. 
Number one is that you need to train your semantics, your vocabulary, um, you know, your active vernacular, and that is mostly flashcards. You just need exposure. <laughs> the other side is your syntax. That's your ability to actually string sentences together, to understand you know, conjugation, uh, how word meaning changes in the context of a sentence. What's really interesting neurologically is that the semantics are ultimately attached to your muscle memory. Those are neurons that are activated when you're speaking. And so if you fail to create speech, if you only listen, mm -hmm. then you are not going to be nearly as able to uh, you know, create memories and create knowledge as you would be if you did the exact same thing, but just said it out loud. Yeah, absolutely. Or even, even speaking silently, but just letting your lips move. Exactly. It's exactly. better than just doing it in your head. Yeah, it's amazing what just basic neuron activation does to learning. Yeah. Yeah, or like neurons, you know, connected to your muscles, connected to the rest of your body's experience and sensory yeah. milieu. Absolutely. It's been really fascinating to uh, to see the linguistic research um, as I've done this because I was I was very interested, you know, ahead of time, um, but I never really had reason to to really deep dive until Univoice. And that has been a real pleasure. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit more about your like personal journey with with this startup or with you've mentioned that you've done several others or that this is kind of something you've been doing. Um, what is what is the biggest personal challenge that you've had growing this company? It's hmm, a good question. I think that the biggest personal challenge that I have had is learning fundraising. Hmm. That has been... Um, yeah, kind of the key sticking point for uh, for my life personally, and I, I it's hard to just uh, you know throw that out there because you know my uh, strategy to overcome that is just to meet partners like Sammy, and mm -hmm. just focus on other things. So, right, <laughs> right. Know, yeah. I don't want to throw you something where you know uh, my response is just to ignore it. Um, you know, but there's there's always growing pains. There's always things that you know you need to to kind of learn rapidly how to do. And you know, when you're the executive of the company, your job is just to, to do it. Sometimes you're not going to find somebody. You're not going to be able to delegate. Your job is to do that. But you know, on the days where it can't happen, it can't happen. And you're the one that needs to stand up. So yeah. what's the tricky thing about fundraising for you? Oh, gosh. I don't know. That's a good question. If I knew it, I suppose I would solve it immediately. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess like for me... Um, I haven't had to raise funds because that's just not the kind of company that I have. Um, but like the the thing that scares me about the idea of going and fundraising, and a, a lot of my friends who are like founders and they talk about their fundraising, and just like, you mean I'm gonna try to take all of my vision and put it into a deck and then go like talk to people that I've never met before and have like 30 seconds to sell them on something and then take money from them, not knowing them and then kind of be beholden to them like that whole thing just sounds horrifying to me mm -hmm. i don't know how anybody mm -hmm. does it but people do it <laughs> yeah my first uh, my first couple of ventures uh fundraising wasn't necessary because you know i'm, I'm working with uh, you know partners that you know have an existing business or it's something relatively simple 
um, you know, when I wanted to make money in college, I just did the fast hash. And I was like, hey, you know, uh, that's a joke about marijuana. So kids are going to love it. And potatoes are cheap, so I can make some hash browns. Everybody wants breakfast. All right. Done. Um, you know, that doesn't take startup capital. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had uh, some, some folks who were uh, going to lose the farm. Uh, they were photographers. They were the most amazing people. They're absolute masters of their craft. But moms with a camera were doing every wedding. So you know, no senior pictures. The, the industry just absolutely flopped over the course of only a couple of years. This was right after I had uh, gotten out of college and um, had finished my career in the military. And, you know, we got together. We identified uh, where the majority of their income was coming from on a day-to-day basis and created a new business model around that. Uh, we spent a few years together. We had an absolute blast. And there was no reason to go raise funds instead of just make sales. So we just went and made sales. Hmm. And so then... What, what was the first time that you had to raise funds? Um, that, what was was that like for um, a, a, my nascent business, Euphrates. And the idea is to make freight easier. Um, Euphrates. Through, <laughs> a, and it was a, a great system. Uh, we did a lot to push forward um, DLT technology, um, in particular with um, acyclic graphs. And um, something like how, IOTA, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, or uh, Phantom, or um, you know, there's what what we realized is that um, sorry, I, I I'm saying we and just instead of uh, hey me when I was just sitting on the side of a, a hill for a couple of years pondering the world and wondering what to do with myself, right? Uh, I realized As one does. that when you have a, a ledger, it doesn't matter where data enters at all. The ordering matters. Fair ordering is critical, mm-hmm. but that's a temporal thing. It's not a spatial thing. So the idea of a directed acyclic graph that, um, I, I feel like it was like hash graph and, uh, Hedera have the patent on it, but it was convergent evolution. There's no way that there weren't a hundred people exactly like me coming to the same conclusion on the same day. Right. And they weren't actually around first. I don't exactly. think there actually is a like viable patent on a DAG structure. I don't think it should be viable to patent math. I mean, like there are others using it in production right now. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, as far as, uh, as it concerns freight and, um, on-demand technologies, what we realize is, oh, okay, here, here's a, a great way that we can, you know, create a marketplace with fair ordering that actually has the volume to do things that Uber can't, that Lyft can't, because they're so limited with their technology stack and the number of transactions per second that they can actually accommodate. Mm-hmm. And so, so what is this? What was this that uh, Euphrates was going to? Um, well, the being able to put together contract chains um, is something that's unique to um, DLT, and so uh, you know, the idea here is that um, you know, freight can be made easier through um, more effective dryage, uh, more effective um, bills of lading, um, and you know, other things that you know usually uh, are, are taking a vast amount of time or money. So um, you know, being able to to use crypto contracts to mediate things via AI rather than having a human do dryage. Um, that alone would be huge. Mm-hmm. So I had a, um, a friend up in uh, Seattle 
working at a maritime shipping firm, they have 30,000 containers on the ocean at any given time. Or, I'm sorry, 30,000 containers uh, in port at any given time and a couple hundred thousand um, yeah, at sea. All of those containers at port are being charged coastal rent. And that is a crazy amount of money, especially in places like Seattle or LA or San Diego. So if you just move that 100 miles inland, you can still store it for the same amount of time, but save tens of millions of dollars every year per firm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're just going to start there. But uh, you know, as the technology expands, then you're you know, looking at things like, hey, what happens when you arrive? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to spread the gravel instead of just dump it out? Yeah, you know, little little things. From there, we could edge into the more generalized service on demand. So ultimately, we're creating a, a service on demand on demand platform, and ultimately, we would want to use this to provide a gradual, like, nice inclined plane to the fourth industrial revolution because it's a platform that could find uh, employment for humans or for machines and give a nice gradual on-ramp there rather than expecting people to you know use something like like uber and then turn around and use something that's completely different for uh, calling up a, a machine yeah so how do you tackle an industry like that like su- supply chain where you have so many different suppliers connected to so many different vendors all the way through the chain how would you get them all to use uh, i mean how many of them do you have to bring together to use one platform for them to to get any value from it that is um dependent on the game theory mm. so it yeah it really depends on on whether there is a strong incentive for centralization uh with euphrates uh the game theory is pure centralization and so what i told myself is hey if i ever meet anybody who's doing something that is ultimately going to accomplish this goal then i should just all in with them because that they're all if they've already snowballed beyond what I could expect of myself, I'd be really silly to try to compete. I right. know that we're going to snowball in the same direction and combine. Um, so that was the strategy. And around 2017 is when I heard about Chainlink, um, and what Sergey Nazarov is doing with that is absolutely phenomenal. He has uh, Ari Jules on the team from day one, and Ari has uh, been publishing some of the best math um, regarding cryptography that I've ever read since the 90s. So, you know, the Chainlink team has been wonderful to follow. It's been, it's been really incredible. Hmm. So what, it's, it sounds like you've kind of stepped aside from this uh, Euphrates concept into Univoice. Um, was there a reason for that? Or was the industry not quite ready or did you end up snowballing into the other company and just kind of letting them run with it? Yeah, because I figured that, uh, you know, I'm going to need a, a lot of money to do this. So I went fundraising. And uh, to answer your question, uh, how do you solve that problem? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm creating a business. Oh, okay. So there's part part of Univoice is to be generating the funds for you to do this other one. Yeah, it's way easier for me to do something like create Univoice and launch it than it is to, you know, walk around begging. Yeah. So create value much easier than beg for money. Hmm. Yeah. Somehow, somehow people manage to do both. <laughs> I haven't figured <laughs> the that very out. Very successful but. CEOs. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Brian. This has been a really great conversation. Oh yeah, a lot of fun. Thank you so much for the call, Brett. Yeah, you too. Yeah, you have a good one.